Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators, a community of mathematics teacher educators learning to teach math teachers better. I'm your co-host, Dusty Jones, and joining me today is co-host Jen Wolf. Hi, Jen. Hi, good to be with everyone today. Thanks, Jen. And also co-host Joel Amadon. Hey, Joel. Hey, Dusty. Today, we are talking with Dr. Sarah Bush. Sarah is a professor of K-12 STEM education and Lockheed Martin Eminent Scholar Chair in the School of Teacher Education at the University of Central Florida. She has held a number of leadership roles at her institution and within national mathematics education community, including serving as a member of the board of directors for the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics from 2019 to 2022. Uh, We're excited to talk with Sarah today for a number of reasons, including her writing for the NCTM Catalyzing Change series, and also uh, what her doctoral students are up to in a NOICE grant uh, titled Empowering STEM Teachers with Earned Doctorates. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hey, Dusty. Um, Thank you all so much for having me today. I'm, I'm so excited to talk with you and Jen and Joel. Uh, great. We are we are still thrilled to have you. Um, can you take a minute to introduce yourself a little bit beyond what I already shared? What did we miss? Um, well, I mean, I feel like you shared I shared a lot. Um, and you know, I think you know, currently, you know, I'm at the University of Central Florida, and I'm actually kind of in a new role, uh, partially in a new role. I I'm directing the Lockheed Martin UCF Mathematics and Science Academy at UCF, which is so exciting. Um, And basically what the academy does is through an endowment, it provides tuition for experienced teachers um, to earn their master's in Kate Math and Science Ed through our our master's program. And then also we have a transition to Mathematics and Science Teaching Career Changers program that focuses on those becoming middle and high school math and science teachers. So, and all this work is, you know, um, very heavily focused on Title I schools. So, you know, I'm kind of excited because I'm in this new role this year, and that's been different and challenging in good ways and excited. And I'm, you know, grateful for that opportunity. And then otherwise at UCF, you know, I'm currently still coordinating our math ed PhD program, our math ed track of our PhD and that brings in so many amazing, great students um, from all different backgrounds. And then, like you mentioned, I have our Noise Track 3. Um, and I'm also currently working on an IUSE and just, you know, spending a lot of my time mentoring and learning from our doc students and our master's students. So basically, I kind of feel like I'm just living the dream. I get to be in some of these leadership roles, but they're really centered and grounded in math ed and STEM ed, which is the space I love to be in. So that, that's really that's exciting. Doing. That's really exciting. So how did you start teaching math teachers? And then also, why did you start teaching math teachers? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I mean, probably some of the typical things, but I've been listening to a lot of the podcasts. And so I've I've learned that um, there's so many different paths that people take. So I'm going to say there's probably not a typical path, but my path um, was I, I loved learning. I loved math. I loved teaching. I was a middle school math teacher in a public middle school. Uh, but I, I don't think I was really born to always do the, the same thing for a mm-hmm. really, really long time. It's just not in my spirit. Um, I really like to, to do and seek new experiences. And I also really wanted to learn more and I wanted to have a broader impact. So somewhere around the beginning of my fourth year of teaching, 
I had my master's degree and I went back to my own undergrad advisor. He was kind of like a, a legend in our region. Um, he's retired now. His name's Bill Jamsky. Um, his kind of claim to fame is he had for the longest time, and maybe it's still true today, he had contributed the most calendar problems to NCTM's mathematics teacher. Remember the calendar problems in yeah, there? Nice. Um, yeah. So he, yeah, he's just like an amazing guy. But I told him, I, like, I want to do your job. Like, how do I do that? And so he had recommended two people for me to talk to because I really didn't want to move. I lived in Southern Indiana, kind of near Louisville, Kentucky at the time. And he recommended that I talk to Karen Carp at UofL. And then he recommended someone else. And him and Karen had worked together at IUS for several years, which is where I did my undergrad. So I made an appointment with Karen. Um, and she was department chair at the time. So it was like very scary when I went there because there was like an office with her admin before you could actually get to her office. And yeah. then she was a New Yorker. So, you know, I'm from the Midwest where everyone's like the pleasantries are all there. And she was like, you need to do this and you need to do this. And if you had this, we might accept you. And that's not exactly how she was. Um, she was very kind, but I, like, she was very strong and I was a little terrified to be honest, but um, I left there thinking, I'm scared, but I think I got to do this and I got to study with her. And that was really it. So I did all the things she told me to do. And I got my doctorate at UofL and I did that while being a full-time teacher. And I, it was such a great experience because, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it uh, on the balancing of life scale, but it was so great to take what I was learning in my graduate work and, uh, and do it the next day in my classroom as a middle mm -hmm. school teacher. And the whole thing changed my life. Um, you know, working with Karen changed my life, getting my doctorate, working with all the amazing faculty and my, you know, fellow doc students at, at UofL when I was there changed my life. And then from there, I worked as a professor at Bellarmine University, which is a private institution in Louisville, where I was an assistant professor, associate professor and associate dean for a while. And then I made my move to UCF. Um, and that's kind of my story. Great. That's an exciting story. And and I agree with what you said. I, I hear your story and I think, oh, that's how I did it. So that's the typical route. But having <laughs> talked with a lot of other people, there's, mm -hmm. there's not a typical route. Um, so that's, that's good um, to acknowledge that. Um, yeah. What's the best advice that you received when you started teaching math teachers? Well, I received a lot of advice, but you know, I, you know, having Karen as a mentor, you know, I kind of had the opportunity to learn how to teach elementary math methods from, you know, the author of the Vanderwall book. So <laughs> I feel kind of feel like I got all the advice. Um, but I think it's a big takeaway, you know, just modeling what taking the idea of having to modeling model what you're teaching seriously is so important, so important to model what you say needs to be done in the classroom. Um, and, you know, just learning, learning with your, your students. But I think trying to always enter a conversation or situation, you know, with care and compassion, you know, having high expectations, but grounded in very intentional supports, not making assumptions about the knowledge and experience people bring, like those were kind of all the things I went into it, um, going straight from really the middle school classroom to a faculty position was, was kind of my route. But mm -hmm. But, you know, I was able to do that. I had good mentorship and um, I was able kind of to leverage those experiences. But really outside of actually teaching math teachers, more just navigating the land and the landscape of higher ed. I mean, I was also given lots of good advice. Um, you know, you have to navigate carefully. You know, sometimes you 
you know, when you're a new faculty member, you often get asked to do things and some of them are not good uses of your time or not things you need to be doing. But, you know, I was taught, get your chair to say no for you. You know, when you're brand new, some of those strategies, um, you know, we joke, uh, you know, following the rules of kindergarten, not to get dragged into drama and things like that. Um, and then the other thing I was told that I think was very valuable to me um, was make your CV for the job you may want someday, not not necessarily the job you currently have. And I remember being told that before I even had my first job and, and Bellarmine was an amazing place to work. But, you know, really make your CV for the, the job you might want. So you just have any option that you you kind of want. And I've really kind of stuck by that my whole career. And I'm still sticking by that. Um, and so I, those are some of the pieces of advice I was given. I, I had plenty of advice. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. Um, I, there's so many of those we could unpack. I don't <laughs> I was scribbling <laughs> furiously there. Um, yeah. Uh, getting your chair to say no for you. Um, that's, I guess that's partly dependent on your chair, but yeah, there's a lot of different things that a, a new faculty. Well, that is group. so true. I did have a good chair. Um, the other one I was told was, um, so like when you're, you know, when you're a new faculty member, if someone comes up to you and tells you like how great you did on something or they thank you for something, you know, you can jokingly, but, but sort of seriously say, you know, don't tell me, tell my boss. <laughs> so yeah. that's like kind of a, another one I was told at one point, and that was a little harder to put into practice, but, um, you know, I was, I'm so grateful because I was given so much advice because navigating, you know, teaching is one thing, because we can apply what we did as a K-12 teacher often, if we were in one of those pathways to our higher ed teaching, but navigating all the other things in higher ed is kind of a different beast. And so I was fortunate to be given really good advice. It's really solid advice. Like I'm just sitting with the CV one right now and just thinking about how there's like possibilities of like dreaming of where you want to go and setting mm -hmm. that pathway. And it just made me think about um, recently, Joel had a, a podcast session with um, Dorothy White and thinking about mm -hmm. full professor and going that track. So just thinking about what are those kind of like, maybe not little things, but it's making me think about like just uh, like little shifts I can make in my thinking towards like goal making. And, you know, later, maybe we'll talk a little bit about um, Sarah, you've had so many leadership positions. So just also thinking about like, what are the different advice you have and like moving towards that? I could see you dreaming about like, this is where I want to go. And you've been able to kind of carve that path out while also thinking about how can you uplift others as you're going on that path. So I really appreciate you sharing that advice out with our audience. Thanks, Jen. I'm just so glad to spend an hour with you. <laughs> I know it's so much fun. I was just thinking back to how like, um, yeah, the first time actually uh, Dusty and I met because of a leadership role you took in the yeah. um, NCTM program committee. So it's kind of nice to, to be back in community with you all. Yeah. I remember so much about that. Um, it was such a fun couple of years working with both of you on that. It was just Thanks. like the best, best memories. It was so much fun. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that a lot too. Sarah, what's a word or a phrase or a quote or some, something that is good for audio format um, that helps you center the work that you do in teaching math teachers? You know, I thought about this a lot because um, I know you, you kind of were kind enough to give me some lead time on thinking about these things. But, you know, mainly my current work for the past few years have been focused on our doctoral master's programs. And so I work quite a bit with future researchers, math teacher leaders, instructional coaches, district leaders, admin, 
And so one quote that I love to use, um, I probably overquoted it, um, is in NCTM's Principles to Actions. It's on page 61. I've used it so much, I've memorized it. But the quote is, um, the question is not whether all students can succeed in mathematics, but whether the adults organizing mathematical learning opportunities can alter traditional beliefs and practices to promote success for all. And I love that quote so much um, because I think so often we get so deeply um, intertwined in our day-to-day -day work and how things have always been that it's easy to get trapped into the into to set ways of thinking. And so I just absolutely love that quote. Mm -hmm. I love that one too. And you have the the page memorized. So that's, and now I'm like, oh, can we put that on a sticker and put it on my water bottle? And then like, anytime <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm veering off the path, right? Like, can I go back to that quote and think about like, what's my purpose? Mm -hmm. Like as a math teacher educator, as an educator, what is my purpose? Yes, and yes, yes, yes. Yeah, love yeah, it. it I was having a conversation with some colleagues from a different department last week, but they were asking about, you know, my students in, in particular subject, they just don't understand the math. What's happening at the grade school level? What's happening at the high school level? Um, that's a great quote. It's, it's, it's not whether the students can succeed, but mm -hmm. those other things that, that we are trying to impact um, for positive for the students. Well, it puts the mirror resources. back on us, right? It puts mm -hmm. that, yes. you know, like, hey, what what am I doing? How am I creating an environment that my students can be successful in? And yeah, it's I mean, like when I was first challenged on that, when, you know, when you're a new teacher or even a, mm -hmm. a new teacher of teachers and it's like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> like, and, and it's like, oh, wait a second. You know, this isn't, this isn't on them. This is, this is my job as a teacher to create an environment for them to be successful. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Love that. And I love that you're using APA citations for this uh, podcast episode that we got the page number for the direct quote. <laughs> I mean, I will awesome. admit, like I did read the quote just now. I did not have the actual quote memorized word for oh, word. Wow. I just want to say that on the record. I did okay. read the quote. I did. Yeah. <laughs> that's a way to ensure that you quoted it correctly. So that's good. Exactly. <laughs> so Sarah, you talked a lot about uh, lots of different pieces of advice that you've received. Um, what Maybe in addition to those things, what advice would you give to someone starting out as a math teacher educator? Yeah, um, you know, I've thought about this a lot. And, you know, I, again, we kind of talked about this, but on the surface, it, it might appear that what we do as math teacher educators is kind of parallel to the K-12 teacher. You know, we we plan and we grade and we mentor our students and we have relationships with them and we talk about math and all those things. But really you learn really quickly that you also kind of develop this new identity as a math teacher educator that has these other aspects like readers, uh, like leadership and research and service admin duties, whether they're kind of informal or formal. Um, and then, you know, there's also this really important advocacy component that once you're in a space that, that a math teacher educator is afforded to be in, you're also kind of serving as an advocate for our field. Um, and so I think one piece of advice is, you know, for someone coming into this role, is just kind of giving yourself some space and grace as you grow into that. It, it takes a while. I'm still learning. Um, and then I think as you're doing that, really kind of finding a path that works for you and be open to not even knowing what is possible for you. You know, when I mm -hmm. think about this is, I believe, my 13th year as a faculty member. 
And so if you were to ask me my first year, my second, fifth, or even like three years ago, what I would be doing today, I would not have predicted what I'm doing today. Um, and then I think the big thing that's worked well for me, I'm not sure how, but, you know, I think working very intentionally, but you paint the story of how like all the stars in your work align. Um, and for me, sometimes it kind of just happens serendipitously, but like you tell your story, it's not what's, you know, you decide how that story's told. And what I've kind of learned is, is, as my work in seemingly different facets grows, they really inform each other. And that knowledge you kind of gain over time, I don't really think it's additive. To me, it's been exponential. So for me in the last few years, just as an example, all this catalyzing change work I did, so heavily, you're gonna see in a minute, connects to my noise grant. And all of that connects so heavily to this kind of math pack work we've been doing. And all these efforts kind of focus on a system level approach for equitable, just, and inclusive math programs. Um, you know, for example, our math pack work kind of provides an organizational frame. And then this, for the past decade, kind of off to the side, but not really, I've been heavily involved in integrated STEM and STEAM work. Mm -hmm. But that's really in service of being a gateway, like mathematics being a gateway to STEM and STEAM. But all that's part of catalyzing change, too. So to me, when I think of my story, these different arms in my work are not separate projects. They're kind of like the nexus of my advocacy work, research, leadership, service, teaching, kind of all fits together. So I think when you can find yourself in a place where all your lines start to get blurred, that's the sweet spot. And that's really where... I think the transdisciplinary learning and the exponential growth like in learning really occurs. So I think my advice would be, you know, you set the tone of your own story and you determine how those pieces fit together, but also, you know, work to recognize when kind of authentic or organic opportunities present themselves to you to where things might kind of grow exponentially in your learning and you know, in your work. I like that a lot. You're making me think about my story and this is, this is not a podcast about me, <laughs> but I, I'd love to I, hear it. <laughs> no, no, uh, I, I don't have say uh, more dusty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I'm not really sure what, uh, I don't have, I don't have coherent thoughts. That's what I'm stumbling through here. Uh, well, but I really like I... the advice of you set the tone for your own story. This seems like something I would need to go and, and reflect on. Uh, you know, get a comfortable chair, uh, you know, a comfortable um, beverage or something like that. Maybe comfortable is not the word for that, but uh, <laughs> sit, sit, and th sit and think about this for a while, you know, journal about it. What, what does this look like? You know, maybe look at my CV, think about what I want to do. Um, yeah. Well, and Sarah, just, it sounds like, like, you know, not to, have a pun or whatever here but like it sounds like the work on catalyzing change was almost like a catalyzing moment for things mm -hmm. to uh, happen and like i it just it just got me thinking like i wonder what each of us would say as our catalyze like our catalyzing moments or things like that that have you know just led to development but then also too like thinking like before like then how can you shape those experiences because like there's other opportunities that can happen, but thinking about like, yeah, what is that story that, that you're trying to develop throughout? But I, mm -hmm. I don't know that I, you, you said it much more eloquently than I did. So I think that's exactly it though. Like we do have these, I do think these catalyzing 
opportunities present themselves. It might be, you know, you might be a, a newer faculty member and someone at your institution more senior ask if you want to join them on a grant application. And you never, you definitely shouldn't say yes to everything, but you never know what could end up being just a really pivotal opportunity. So you got to think about those opportunities really carefully when they're presented to you. Um, so I, I think you're absolutely right. We all have these kind of catalyzing moments that shape that shape us. Yeah. So Sarah, as it's been mentioned, you do lots of things and you do a lot of things well. Um, how do you set boundaries and priorities to get the right things done and still enjoy your life? Um, well, I'm definitely still figuring that one out. Um, <laughs> but I do have some strategies that I think help. Um, so things, I think what I think about a lot is things move so fast. Our things fly in our inbox so fast. We get opportunity, you know, things come our way. There's so much work to be done in our field that it's endless. The, the job is never done. But one thing I try to always remember is everything you say yes to has essentially by default has the opportunity cost of saying no to something else. I think what I try to do as a general practice is say yes to things that are good fit and that I want to do. And you, as time goes on, you have a little more wiggle room to, to do that. Um, you know, the, but even so that kind of formula doesn't work perfectly all the time because there will always be some things that come up at unexpected times. We're going to talk about one of those in a minute that you just can't pass up and you just have to figure out how to make it work. Um, and then another thing that I think helps me is I've gotten, I've worked hard over time to learn to really trust my gut. And so if something doesn't feel right, um, either the project of fit to me, the, the people doing the project, whatever it is, if it doesn't feel right or comfortable, I just have to reflect and say, if it doesn't feel right, it's not. And the reason might be me who knows what the reason is, but mm -hmm. if it's, the gut check, you know, if it's not right, then it's not right. And I need to find a way out. Um, and, you know, if you're a newer faculty member, often finding your way out is your leadership helping you navigate that um, or a mentor or a career sponsor helping you navigate that. But our work is such a big part of our life that I think it is so critical that it's work. We're making sure we're doing work that we're passionate about. Um, but of course I get burnout. Um, you know, I mean, like, I think everyone else, maybe not, but I think everyone else, like there are days that I, I don't want to talk math ed, you know, I, I don't want to text or email or talk or read math ed, you know, I just want to, you know, be outside or take a nap or be with my pups or, you know, binge watch a show, eat some good food. And I think that's really, really important to just compartmentalize. And I have been able to do better with that over time. That's good for the viewers at home, for the listeners at home, everybody was nodding along when you said there are times when you just don't want to do math ed. So yeah, um, uh, those of you who are sitting there thinking, wait, if I signed into a, you know, 24 seven type of thing, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think everyone we've asked this question has, has talked about setting a time, setting aside time to do other things. Um, besides just the job, because we are not robots. So that's good. We are not robots. Yeah. I tell myself that every day. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> 
So Sarah, tell us some about your experiences on the NCTM board. What was it like to be nominated, to get elected, to serve? Yeah. Um, so this was all before the pandemic. So my memory's a little fuzzy, uh, but um, does other people have that problem or is that just me? I feel like. No, I, I had, I had a different life and then <laughs> yes, there was 2020 yes. and then, yes. and then now we're in that second like, part. I feel like we're always adding like two or three years to how long ago something was because we, yes. you know, like the way the time kind of went through that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't remember much about the nomination part, but my first kind of main memory was, you know, I definitely had a little nervousness around the election. Um, and then I remember just a little bit. And I remember I was actually called and notified that I um, was elected to the board during the NCTM regional in Kansas City. So that was very exciting because I was with, you know, I was with colleagues and friends. And so that was exciting. But my nervousness wasn't really about whether or not I would be elected, it was more about, um, I was okay with that either way. I mean, that's just part of running for things like this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was more nervous if I was elected, <laughs> like, did I deserve to be in this space? So it was really like the typical imposter syndrome things that were kicking in. Um, but that was definitely where my nervousness was at. And also, I think for many of us, or at least for me, like sometimes I have a, just a nervousness around a not knowing, you know, mm-hmm. the unknown of what's going to happen. And And if it did happen, you know, it's going to be a big part of your life for, in my case, three and a half years. So that was kind of where that was coming from. But I will say once that happened and then I was elected, um, I don't know what to say other than really it was it's a once in a lifetime experience. You know, I got to do it for three and a half years because they had moved the annual meeting. So our class, our board class, um, which are four of us, um, got to do three and a half year term because of that change. And, you know, while I've had other leadership roles, I think I'll say it was just such an intensive learning and growth experience. Definitely like the best professional development mm-hmm. I've ever had in my life. Um, and really just those that I had the opportunity to serve with on the board at the same time, which ends up being almost 20 people because you're on a rotating cycle and the staff, it was just such like an honor and just joy to work with them. And of course, it was it was very challenging and, you know, stressful and intense, high stakes at different times, but I just went and trade it. Um, and to me, you know, to think I've already, I've been able to do that and I've had all that learning um, and I'm going to just be able to carry that with me for the rest of my career. I, it's just such a, a gift that I'll cherish. Um, but really just being able to serve our field in that way is, was just so, so great. So it was just a great experience. Great. Uh, as a, I think as a part of that, or maybe after that, I don't know, um, you chaired the task force and served as a lead writer for the catalyzing change in middle school mathematics, initiating critical conversations. Uh, Tell us more about the task force, the origin goals, expected impacts, uh, whatever you want to talk about that. Yeah, um, sure. So I, I don't even really know where to start with this, but you know, just as a little backstory. So before I was on the NCTM board, um, you know, they released the high school volume of catalyzing change in 2018. And I started my board term in 2019. So they were working on this, you know, so far before I was on the board. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, the catalyzing change books, kind of like principles to action or principles and standards for school mathematics, those are official positions of the council. So they're they're a little different than just other NCTM books that get published. But anyways, um, 
after the high school volume was released, as you could imagine, there was kind of this realization and push that if we're going to make these four key recommendations for high school, um, we really need catalyzing change guidance in early childhood, elementary and middle, because, you know, that's so important. We can't just magically things, you know, happen in high school. And so the board had approved before I was on the board an elementary, early childhood, elementary and middle school volume um, to be published under what I am going to personally say um, as a tightest timeline, like <laughs> no to humankind, <laughs> basically um, in time for the 2020 NCTM annual meeting, which happened to be the 100th anniversary, the centennial, the whole thing. So to make a long story short, um, Robert Berry calls me, you know, and asks me, offers me the opportunity to contribute in this way as task force chair and writing team lead for the middle school volume. And he was so kind. He said I could think about it. But I think all of us in this room probably know, like, it's one of those things that you don't say no to. And also, I mean, how do you tell Robert Berry no? And yeah. so um, next thing you know, I'm like, got this new thing to do. So, um, and it's a really important thing. And so, you know, that's what I was kind of mentioning earlier. Sometimes unexpected opportunities happen and you you just have to say yes and figure it out. So, so even, so it long, you know, kind of moving on. So basically, while I was definitely caught off guard um, and I was certainly intimidated by the scope of work, you know, I knew that I had had several past leadership experiences that kind of required this like large scale, long-term orchestration of this like task and um, building a team. And I was already kind of thinking about how um, I might be able to apply those experiences to kind of this new charge. Um, the early childhood elementary was happening at the same time. Deanne Hinker was leading the task force chair for that one. Um, and she was already a board member. I was getting ready to start my term on the board, but I hadn't yet. And so we quickly kind of assembled, NCTM quickly kind of assembled writing teams for each book. Um, for the middle school, Krista Jackson, George Roy, and Eric Milo were the, the middle school writers with me. And then we kind of had like a launch meeting at um, the 2019 NCTM, and then we had a follow-up and rest in. But really the best way I could just think to describe it um, is if you imagine kind of writing a policy document on 50, um, 50 is not the right number, I'm making this up in the moment, but like 50 subtopics and having to like synthesize literature and research on each into a seamless mm -hmm. book, but then also making sure you're aligning seamlessly the recommendations and everything being sent in the early childhood elementary volume, which is still being written at the same time. And then the high school volume. Um, so the middle school is kind of sandwiched in the middle. Um, and you had to do that in like, you know, a, month, a couple months. It was, it was wild. I don't even remember that summer, um, but it was the most <laughs> amazing team of, you know, board, staff, writer, everyone. And the really nice thing um, was NCTM, you know, we just, we got a draft, NCTM sent it out to 30, I don't even know how many reviewers, a ton of reviewers. And really, um, we knew, you know, obviously at that point, the, the product still needed a lot of work, but we were just so grateful for the massive and incredible feedback we received. And then from there, and if you've ever written a policy document or, or been on a, a committee for a position statement or something, you kind of probably have experienced this. You kind of sift through all the comments, you synthesize them, you look for themes. I mean, I'm like making phone calls, getting advice from like the expert on this subtopic and that subtopic, and we're working through it all. And I mean, really, I think all of us that, that were part of the writing team will just be forever like grateful for everyone that kind of helped us get this paragraph just right or this or that. And 
because um, it's really complicated. And, um, you know, it was just such an amazing experience, um, you know, and it kind of all culminated after these reviews and revision. And then we kind of had a writing retreat to kind of tie it all up. And it's so funny because Deanne and I actually saw each other last week at NCTM and we were reminiscing about this like writing retreat at the end which consisted of us and Robert and, and Trina and Dave Barnes. And we were talking about everything we learned from that writing retreat and that we're still using with us today. Um, we have specifically remembered something David taught us um, that I thought would be so fun to share in this podcast, which is, you know, often in our research writing, we learn to like make our case with supporting research and then pack a punch at the end with like your big point. And, you know, Dave kind of taught us, no, in a policy document, you make your big point first and you lead with that. And then you like have your supporting paragraphs. Mm. And so it was just fun to kind of reminisce with Deanne on everything we learned. But really, um, for anyone that hasn't had a chance to take a look yet, the nice thing across the, the three books is we have four key recommendations that you can kind of that that are seamless across the three grade mm. bands. But the nice thing is is they are unique for that grade band. So across all three titles, broadening the purposes of learning mathematics is the first recommendation, but that looks different in early childhood elementary, the middle and high and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the creating equitable structures, the equitable instruction and the deep mathematical learning. And so, you know, I think if I had kind of um, one takeaway for all of this is, you know, the purpose of catalyzing change is really kind of to take some of the things we, we've known from the field that has been in the research, been in other policy documents, and to provide kind of a synthesis on recommendations um, for all stakeholders um, involved in math education, kind of centering on ensuring access to high quality and equitable, just and inclusive math programs for every student. So how can schools, districts, states, universities, community groups, regional centers, um, teacher prep programs, everyone kind of really seek this common goal. Um, and if I had kind of one dream for its impact, it's really for us as a field and for K-12 mathematics in schools, you know, really to move from like these pockets of excellence to the system of excellence. So in other words, there's no more like kind of winning the math lottery experience where maybe, you know, Jen has had this great, positive, impactful, deep learning experience in math. And I've had this like disconnected gatekeeper, non-coherent experience and Dusty's over here having this experience and Joel's having that experience, but really us recognizing as a field that, that our system's so deeply rooted um, in, you know, privileging some, uh, marginalizing many and kind of inequitable structures and acknowledging that and acting on that and being advocates is so essential. Um, so you're kind of, I want us as a field to start thinking in more of a systems way. Um, as teachers, we were, you know, historically, you know, often taught to go in our classrooms and teach. It was very much like a solo endeavor, mm -hmm. but we really have to move towards that. What principles to actions talks about is that collective shared responsibility for student success and really building those equitable systems. So I know that was a very long response, um, but I uh, hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, it does. Well, and speaking of impacts too, there's another book that came out recently around catalyzing change, the success stories. Can you talk a little bit about that, Sarah? 
Yeah, that's, that was so much fun. So Karen Graham, um, there were four of us that edited that book. Karen Graham, who was a lead writer for the high school, Catalyzing Change, she was, um, she kind of led our charge. And then Deanne and Robert and I, we basically had the opportunity. It was such a great opportunity to solicit chapters from uh, the field of success stories of people implementing different components of Catalyzing Change, either in their district, statewide, their school, um, you know, at different kind of levels of implementation. And so we really just, it was such a great experience working with each of the authors and, you know, enacting catalyzing change in their setting. It was just, it was so great. We learned so much. Um, but NCTM published that book. Um, again, I'm having a little bit of a time warp, but I believe it was, um, about a, a year. <laughs> yeah, I'm, oh I'm looking on the <laughs> website here and I see that it was um, in December of 2022. Yes, it was about a year ago. Yes. Um, so, you know, definitely um, if you're engaged in this work or know people that are seeing those stories from, uh, it's just, is really great because, you know, a policy document is very different from stories on the ground. And so we thought the stories on the ground was the next step. That's, that's really cool. Uh, follow up and, and, you know, it's, you've got different audiences, slightly different, um, mm -hmm. stories, but still this related theme, this reminds me of your earlier advice about kind of building these things and making those connections, mm -hmm. um, uh, among those different, those different things that you've done. I've heard a little bit about your noise track three grant, uh, empowering teachers with earned doctorates. It sounds exciting. Can you talk about getting a NOICE grant, what that is? Maybe some of our listeners would be interested in that. But also, uh, you had mentioned earlier, you could talk about uh, your fellows a lot. So I'd like to hear <laughs> about them as well. Absolutely. Um, and yes, we adore our fellows. So I can't wait to talk about them in just a second. But yeah, um, a National Science Foundation NOICE grant. Um, I don't have the actual language in front of me to say it probably exactly right. But basically you know, it is to build up our um, math and science teaching workforce. Um, you know, they have four tracks. The first two are focused more on um, newer teachers of math and science, but we have a track three, um, which is the master teacher fellowship track. So we're working with experienced teachers mm -hmm. um, and I could say so much about them, but really, mm -hmm. um, you know, our track three came about after the start of the pandemic um, we were tasked by our, um, I believe our dean maybe, um, and our school director at the time, who ended up being a co-PI for a while in our grant, Malcolm Butler. He's now a dean at UNC Charlotte now. But anyways, we were supposed to be thinking about how to increase our graduate enrollment. And so uh, Julie Dixon and I, you know, ended up kind of thinking, well, um, you know, launching a doctorate for K-8 math teachers might be that avenue. And we were both so personally excited about it. Um, you know, I was excited because I had just got done writing this catalyzing change book and I hadn't been in schools a lot recently because of the pandemic and not being, uh, you know, allowed to get into schools. And I also was like, man, I just did all this catalyzing change work and I learned all this stuff and I need to like be doing this work, deeply mm. embedded in this work. And, you know, it just didn't, it didn't feel right that, you know, I didn't have a big project focused on this. And, and Julie, with all of her work in schools and districts for so long, her amazing work, it, to me, I think this was very much a career, um, you know, felt right for her too. And then we kind of enlisted Lisa Brooks, who was a former elementary school teacher leader and coach, who's like a total pro, 
Um, she's a lecturer at UCF. And then Brian Moore in our math department, who's just an amazing um, mathematician and human. So we proposed a noise track three. And it was different because we focused on our math teacher leaders earning doctorates. And um, we actually searched the noise database prior to submitting to see how many other math ed focused projects there were that resulted in a doctorate. Um, and there, we couldn't find any at the time. There might be other ones now. So we were excited, so excited to submit. And so we did, and then we were funded. Um, and our goals, you know, were really to work with our large urban district kind of focused on catalyze, to catalyze change mm -hmm. through, um, you know, developing teacher leadership, uh, you know, and just an overall kind of mindset. So basically our fellows, oh my gosh. So our fellows are 14 K-8 math teachers in our large urban district here in Orlando, which has more than 200,000 students, um, Orange County Public Schools. It's the eighth largest district in the country. Um, we just have the best partnership with OCPS as well as our nonprofit partner, City Year Orlando. But our fellows are all current full-time teachers, um, either elementary school. Um, they all teach math, but we have a few um, elementary primary teachers that teach all subjects. We have some intermediate teachers either teach all subjects or teach um, mainly math or math and science. And then we have middle school math teachers. And they're in the third year of their program now. Um, so we're in the third year of our noise project. So they are, we are now uh, got 14 dissertations going. And all of them are aligned to the catalyzing change framework um, focused in their district. And I mean, we, we just adore them. Um, they are doing the most amazing work. We, I, I don't know how to describe it, but the community we've had, we have developed with our fellows has honestly been like, like honestly one of the most special things about my whole career so far. And I think we could, we are all saying that the whole investigator team, like we adore them. We think, you know, we feel that that's probably mutual, although we know they're exhausted. Um, we've built this, like such a great community. Like I honestly just want to like bottle it up forever. <laughs> But I will say the impact they're having as teacher leaders in their school and district, like they are just these powerful advocates for students, for all students, for their colleagues, um, and, you know, just about doing what is right. Uh, and we've learned so much from them. We're just so proud of them. And the cool thing is they're really starting to find their voices and leading beyond Central Florida. Um, just last week at NCTM, like some of, two of them did a keynote at NCSM. Some others presented at NCTM. A couple of them were chosen for this like speaking mentoring program. Um, I mean, it's just been like the, the best thing. Um, but if we look at a kind of what we've learned so far from our data and our key takeaway, one thing we've really learned that I think could be applied to any project that any of us are doing is that feeling valued matters. Um, as our fellows are valued in their setting, in their roles, and they build their confidence in their leadership, like all the excitement around the project and their work as teacher leaders is just kind of flourished. Um, and I think that comes with the confidence that feeling valued brings, but also others seeing them as leaders. And so what we've really learning, what we're really learning is as busy as we are and how much we have going on that really ensuring our fellows, we are celebrating and elevating their voices at every turn, whether that be through a news article or a press release or school board announcements or the website or whatever it is, like all those efforts are so worth it because on a bigger picture, 
what I think we're doing is we're critically working to kind of counteract negative stereotypes mm -hmm. about teaching and working towards professionalizing to the public the STEM teaching profession, which again, really embodies noise at its core. So, you know, I was actually listen, listening to Melissa Adams-Corral's podcast that you all did recently, and like they are really doing what she said, and I'm not going to say it like she did, but, you know, they're really working from where they are, which was one of her key messages, mm -hmm. and our fellows are doing that so beautifully. So I'll just stop there and say we're just, we are just so beyond proud of them. Um, I could talk about them all day. Uh, if you run into me and I'm with them, I'm going to introduce Douche you to them. Like we, we all just adore them so much. And the team at UCF are, you know, Julie and Lisa and Brian and our GRAs, like everyone has just been so great. So it's been the experience of a lifetime. That sounds so fantastic. And um, just the, I think on so many levels, it must be wonderful for you. Number one, just to work with such excellent people and be wonderful. able to, to watch them grow in their own leadership and learning and, and support them. And then, you know, the people, whoever wrote the catalyzing change policy documents would be thrilled to hear that there are 14 dissertations in Orlando County public schools that are all aligned to that. You happen to be one of those authors. So for you, it's like, <laughs> you know, icing on the icing on the cake, um, that, that, that policy document that you worked on is not getting ignored, but is getting implemented. And, um, and you're seeing some impacts in a real human way, I think, um, yes. with that. That's great. Yeah. Absolutely. It's been, it's definitely been the experience of a lifetime. It's been wonderful. Yeah. Well, Sarah, do you have anything else to promote or share? Yeah. Um, I, you know, you, you had told me this was coming. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I was thinking about this a little bit and I am excited, um, you know, part of the other work I do, which again, I think it's all part of the same story, but our integrated STEM and STEAM work, we actually have two new books coming out that I'm so excited about. Uh, one is for K-5 and one is for 612. Um, Krista Jackson led them, but they were really grounded in the work that kind of Krista and Margaret Moore Schroeder kind of conceptualized and dreamed up since their time together at University of Kentucky over a decade ago. Mm -hmm. So the three of us, along with um, my close colleague, Kristen Cook um, in Science Ed, and then our math ed colleagues, um, Thomas Roberts and Kat um, Maraca, we did this work together. And the books come out in January, but they focus on Becoming so, there are books for you know math teacher, teacher, classroom teachers, instructional coaches, math. Te they're Corwin books, so they're they're teacher resource books and educator resource books because they also would be for informal. I should say that, but they focus on becoming STEM system disruptors to counteract deeply rooted traditions in STEM education. So again, you can kind of see the alignment to catalyzing change. But they're grounded in something we've developed called the four integrated STEM practices, or as the book title states, like the four equitable practices for inspiring meaningful learning. But basically, these four practices synthesize the eight standards for mathematical practice, the eight science and engineering practices, and the eight technology and engineering practices and into four integrated kind of practices you can implement in integrated STEM learning experiences. Mm -hmm. But anyways, I'm so, so excited about it. Um, I hope you'll check it out. And then I also invite the AMT community to kind of join us collectively in really advocating for mathematics 
to really be at the forefront of all the STEM conversations. Mm. Um, I think that is so important. And I challenge us collectively to um, really advocate and be involved and use our voice in that way. Because to me, mathematics is really the, the gateway to STEM, um, which, um, you know, the charting the course policy document speaks to that from 2018. But we, we need to own that. And so I, I invite our community to, to help in that effort. And I know many people already are. So, yeah. so thank you. That's great. That's exciting. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Sarah, for spending uh, time with us. I, maybe this was one of those things you couldn't say no to um, when it yeah. came across your, your invite. It's just an Not hour. to you. Not to um, you three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to you all listening uh, for tuning into the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to the podcast. We hope you're able to take action on something you just heard and interact with other math teacher educators. Also, uh, did you know that AMT has another podcast? It's called the Mathematics Teacher Educator Podcast, and it accompanies the latest edition of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal. Authors discuss the work they've submitted for publication to that journal, and Ava Thanheiser does a great job hosting. Find a link to the MTE podcast in the show notes for this episode.